he who angers you conquers you. Is there someone or something in your life that you would say has conquered you? They make you angry? We're talking about anger today in the second part of the current series on holy emotions in the Valley View podcast. I want to welcome you here today. I'm Pastor Josh. I want to thank you for tuning in. I am so glad to share these few minutes with you today. I want you to find victory and life in Jesus Christ. At Valley View Friends Church, we like to say we are learning how to live as God's people, reaching and restoring hearts and homes with Jesus. I want to encourage you to look us up on the web at valleyviewfriendschurch.org. These podcasts are posted on the church website, so you can find them there. But you can also subscribe to always make sure you get the next episode. So let's go ahead and turn our attention to this week's message. One day, a pastor went to a yard sale and he found a lawnmower. It seemed like it was in decent enough shape and the owner said it worked. So the pastor ultimately decided to buy it and uh, got a pretty good deal on it as well. After a quick review of the machine, the pastor filled it with gas and was ready to take it on its maiden voyage. Unfortunately, after a few pumps of the fuel line and a pull of the cord, nothing happened. The pastor pulled a few more times, and then he finally gave up. Thankfully, the yard sale was still going on, so the pastor, quite exasperated, went back to the sale and asked the former owner for his money back. This machine just doesn't work, said the pastor. Well, the man said, I did forget to tell you one more thing about this lawnmower. It only works if you curse at it. Curse at it, said the pastor. I can't do that. I- I'm a pastor. I-, I don't even know if I can curse anymore. It's been so long. Well, the man smiled at him and said, just keep pulling that rope, pastor. I'm sure it will come back to you in no time. What is it that frustrates you till you are pushed over the edge? I had a friend of mine, also a retired pastor, had a phrase that he liked to use, usually on the golf course after a bad drive, and he would say, well, that's enough to make the preacher swear. But he never did. To be clear, pastors definitely get angry, because we're human, and all of us have something or someone who pushes our buttons. Anger is a powerful emotion, and depending on how you express it, your anger can bring about great good, or it can send everybody just running for the hills. When it comes to anger, you have a choice. Let your anger be a destructive force, bringing out the worst in you, or strive for godly anger that is born out of love, seeking the best for others by rescuing, protecting, and building them up. One way will open the door to holiness, the other to ugliness. I want to share several passages from the Bible with you today. The first comes from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 and 27. Let's go ahead and read that text. It starts like this. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Ephesians 4 warns us about anger. I want to be clear. It does seem to indicate that anger itself is not a sin. It says, in your anger, do not sin. Because anger, it can be sinful, but it also more often leads to sin. Ah, boy, does it ever. When we are angry, 
we find ourselves in a precarious position. I really like the New Living Translation's take on the first part of this verse in Ephesians. It says, don't sin by letting anger control you. And I think that's one of the distinctions between God's anger and human anger. Human anger sweeps us up. It seems to take control of our actions. Perhaps human anger um, gives control over as well. The second part of the text warns you not to live with your anger, to get it out, to resolve it, to let it go, not to stay with it. Otherwise, you will give the devil a foothold, and that's a dangerous thing to do. John Calvin writes about anger and the devil, and he says about anger, instead of resisting the devil, we give him control of our hearts. And Erasmus writes, we give way to the devil when we are so angry that other people use our anger as an excuse for attacking our teaching and our beliefs. Anger. And the state you are in when angry opens the door to the enemy. It's in those moments that anger causes you and me to do terrible things. Anger has such destructive potential, one might wonder, can it even be godly at all? And the answer is yes, it sure can. But we need to know a little bit about where anger comes from. And so I want to talk about the source of anger. I want to talk about the bad side of anger, the good side of anger, and then ways, uh, a few ways at least, that the Bible advises us on how to tame anger, instructs us on how to tame anger. So let's start with talking about the source of anger. Anger is a, and you need to hear this, it's a moral emotion. It demands action. Anger says, hey, that's wrong, and we got to do something about it. It's moral. And anger should be and is born out of love. Now, whether it's a godly love or a selfish love is another thing. But anger boils up when someone or something you love are threatened. Thus, we have phrases like Edmund Burke's, all that is necessary for the triumph of evil is that good men do nothing. Anger needs action. It says, hey, there's an injustice. We better do something because someone we love and care about is in trouble. And it's a problem then when we're inactive and non-responsive. Romans 12, 9 says this, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. There's actually a, a call to some holy anger. Hate what is evil. Anger is a holy response to evil. Winston Smith writes this, The Bible presents God, and I want you to hear this. I, 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 sometimes we see anger as such a negative thing, we don't like hearing phrases like this, but I, I think we need to understand what Winston Smith writes here. He says, The Bible presents God as the angriest character in all of Scripture. Yet he is the angriest because he is the most loving character in all of Scripture. Anger, especially holy anger, is born out of love. Holy anger is like a parent who cannot bear to watch their child make decisions that hurt or endanger their own well-being. 
They just want the best for their child. Holy anger doesn't want to dominate. It doesn't want to make others cower. It doesn't want control. It wants to help and bring out the best in those they love. That's the origin of anger. Now let's look at the bad side of anger. Publilius Cyrus writes these words, Anger always thinks it has power beyond its power meaning it thinks it can do a lot more than it really can or has the authority to do. Sinful anger lures us into believing that we can get our way and that our way is right. Anger should be born out of love, but often it's born out of selfishness or selfish love or self-righteousness. Jesus speaks to us and says in Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 and 22, he says, you have heard it You've heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. The political cartoonist and op-ed writer Tim Kreider has provided us with some insight into the world of outrage that we currently inhabit, a world that has been amplified by the dawn of the internet and its dark recesses, better known as the comments section. And he has this to say, so many letters to the editor and comments from the internet have this tone of thrilled vindication. These are people who have been vigilantly on the lookout for something to be offended by and found out and found it. And then he writes, and I think this is the sentence we really need to hear because it helps capture bad anger. Some part of us loves feeling right and wronged. We love to know that we're right, and we love, love to know that someone has wronged us. And we feed on that, and we devour it, and it in turn becomes an anger that eats us up. It's not good. It's not healthy. It's uh, unholy anger, and that is the kind of anger that Jesus is warning against. Don't go seeking out feeling right about being wronged and loving it. John Calvin writes, there are three ways we offend God in our anger. He says, one, we can take offense at small things for no reason. We can, get, we can go too far and become intemperate, so we can take our anger too far. Or three, When anger ought to have been directed ourselves and not with others. Take offense at small things, take it too far, and anger we display that should have been focused on ourselves instead of others. And then John Calvin, in talking about Ephesians 4, writes this. I like this phrase here. If we do fall into anger, God wants us to get over it before the sun goes down. Chances are most of the anger we experience in life is just something we ought to get over. But anger is so powerful. It's so enticing. And anger is like a radar. Angry people can spot the failings and flaws of others from a mile away. Even without realizing it, they radiate a message. Don't cross me or you'll face the consequences. Sinful anger is very dangerous. Because it blinds you to yourself. It seizes the moral high ground made out of what you think is right. And you become obsessed with the flaws of others instead of, well, seeing the log in your own eye. 
And we'll revisit that verse in a few moments. Winston Smith writes again, Angry people almost never know that they are angry people. When you feel deeply right, it's extremely difficult to step back and say, Oh, maybe I'm the problem. Boy, that's true, isn't it? And I think we all know about unhealthy angry, unholy angry, is that anger out of control creates misery. Everybody tiptoes around the angry person, and sinful anger invites the hiding of secrets because everybody wants to avoid a blow-up. Proverbs 29.11 says, Fools give full vent to their rage, but the wise bring calm in the end. Perhaps you've experienced that sort of anger. How on earth can one avoid the full vent of rage? So that's where I think we need to look at the good side of anger. Because anger is a God-given emotion, and it's essential for you and for me. Anger makes us step out of evil and out uh, out of evil and out of injustice, and it wants us to act and make things right. C.S. Lewis says this, The absence of anger can, in my opinion, be a most alarming symptom. If the Jews cursed more bitterly than the pagans, this was, I think, at least in part, because they took right and wrong more seriously. Anger is really concerned about, like, good anger is concerned about justice. It's concerned about righteousness. Godly anger loves what God loves. And this means, and I think we need to really take this to heart, godly anger is always expressed as a rescue mission. Erasmus writes these words saying, Paul talks about being angry without sin. You see this kind of anger most clearly, I think, when it brings some benefit to a neighbor. So how is it that you move from unholy or bad anger, the bad side of it, that grips your heart to a holy anger that redeems and rescues those that you love. And the Bible gives us tons and tons of teaching on how to tame anger. You know, it starts with putting your faith in Christ. It starts by letting the Holy Spirit work the fruit of the Spirit into your life. And anger is transformed into something holy when you submit your will to God's will. Henry Ward Beecher said this, a man who does not know how to be angry does not know how to be good. So we need to learn how to tame our anger. And so I want to take a few more minutes here and very quickly identify uh, seven practices mentioned in Scripture that can be used to rein in holy anger. The first one is this, slow down. James 1.19 says this, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. Ecclesiastes 7 verse 9 says this, Do not be quickly provoked in your spirit, for anger resides in the lap of fools. You can almost never go wrong by pausing before you act when you are angry. Because anger, if you remember what I said, anger wants results and it wants them fast. So if you want to tame that, slow down. 
Anger is going to try to push you over the edge before you see the danger point of no return. Slow down. Kind of capturing this. I'm not sure if he was trying to capture anger or not. But Aristotle, in 335, uh, tried to describe the function of the brain. And uh, he thought that the brain was just some extra organ. It was secondary. It wasn't that important. And so he described it like this. Aristotle said, the brain is a radiator meant for keeping the all-important heart from overheating. And I think that's a pretty good commentary on anger. When we get angry in an unholy way, our heart boils. And when we slow down, our brain is asking us to think through the situation. Zach Eswine writes, We need to wait out our racing thoughts and emotions until we can choose good even for our enemy. A second way we can tame our anger is to name your anger and its source. Proverbs 10.18 says, Whoever conceals hatred with lying lips and spreads slander is a fool. So whoever conceals, hides it, keeps it hidden, doesn't want to speak it out loud, that causes a problem. You got to name your anger, name its source. Be specific about it. It's not enough to say, uh, it's my boss that's driving me nuts. It's, it's my spouse. It's my mom or dad. It's, it's my children. They should know better. No, 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 no. Be as specific as possible. And so run through a series of questions to name your anger and its source. And so ask yourself, well, well why am I angry? And then answer it by saying, I am angry because, and then be very specific about what's making you angry. I am angry because all the lights were left on in the house and no one ever seems to want to turn them off. And once you name it, you start to go, is that worth getting mad about? Or can we just find a way to help make that better? What's the wrong that you're perceiving? Ask yourself, what's the outcome of my anger? Meaning this, are those that I care about getting better as a result of my anger, or am I hurting others because of my anger? And then lastly, when you're naming your anger and you're, it's the source of it, you need to ask yourself, am I upset about something that God is upset about? Hopefully by running through those questions, why am I angry? What wrong am I perceiving? What's the outcome of my anger? Are others getting better? Or am I hurting others because of my anger? Am I Upset, upset about what God's upset about, hopefully when you run through those, you'll get a healthy perspective on your anger and you'll realize, okay, this is something that's worth fighting about or this is something that I should really relax and get over. William Blake writes these words, I was angry with my friend. I told my wrath and my wrath did end. I was angry with my foe and I told it not and my wrath did grow. There's something in not speaking your anger, hiding it, and it will grow and it'll eat you up. A third way to tame your anger is to examine yourself. Anger heightens your ability to see the mistakes of others. We've already talked about that. Perhaps you'll see the mistakes of others even disproportionately so. More importantly, anger blinds us from our own flaws. There's a popular song right now by Taylor Swift, Annie Hero. It's 
not a Christian song, but it's got a lot of truth in it. And in the chorus of that song, she has a line about herself. I'll stare directly at the sun, but never in the mirror, meaning that she'll look at something that hurts her eyes instead of helps her soul. We humans do have a penchant for what is bad for us instead of examining ourselves and looking for what can help us. Jesus spoke to this in Matthew chapter 7, verses 3 through 5. I've already alluded to it. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the pike in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Stop, exa- stop and examine yourself first and that will help you move your anger from self-righteousness to genuine concern for the one you're angry with. Fourth, don't go to bed angry. As I've already mentioned from Ephesians 4, that verse about not letting the sun go down on your anger, it's it's an idea that we don't let our anger become long-lasting. You should not live with your anger. It's just not healthy. Erasmus writes these words, We should not let anger become a permanent attitude in us that it should put down roots, that it should not last long. Fifthly, don't hang out with angry people. Proverbs 22, verses 24 and 25 say this, Do not make friends with a hot-tempered person. Do not associate with one who is easily angered, or you may learn their ways and get yourself ensnared. You know, we humans, we tend to take on the habits and traits of those we spend time with. We learn how to become angry. That's something that you learn. You learn it from family, from friends, and those you spend the most time with. Be careful that you're not learning how to become angry from a person who feasts on anger. Proverbs 15.1 says this, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And angry people are prone to use harsh words. I'd especially caution parents, you probably know this already, but I just it needs to be said, you are directly responsible for what your children learn about and how to use anger. Be careful. Six, fill yourself with God's word. James chapter 1 verses 19 through 21 is a classic passage on handling anger. And it ends in verse 21, with two important ideas. Deal with your stuff first. Get all the moral filth out out of you. But it also says to receive the word planted in you. Let me read it to you. It says, therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Accept the word. Is what that text is telling us. We have a phrase in our culture, it is so common that it feels trite. You are what you eat. But it's true. And feasting on God's word will slowly change you from unhealthy anger to holy, godly anger that is really more about blessing others. Lastly, if you want to tame anger, learn to love what God loves. Ephesians 5.2 calls us to imitate God. Actually, it's 5.1 calls us to imitate God. 5.2 tells us how to do it. 
It says there in Ephesians 5 to walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us, loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. You're called by God to love others like Jesus loved them. So love sacrificially, love redemptively, love others so that they can be the very best version of themselves. Winston Churchill said this, A man is as big as the things that make him angry. And this world is full of small people who are angry at small things. And getting every, angry at everything <sighs> makes a lot of misery. Anger is important. It's healthy. But only when you're angry at that which makes God angry. And that means you're going to love that which God loves. So, love others deeply. Love them so much that you hurt for them when they hurt themselves. It's time to stop living off of small, self-serving anger. And I want to invite you to lay your anger at Jesus' feet. Let's pray. Lord, we are a people that seek to get our way all too often. And when we do so, we often burst out in anger, not over righteousness, but because we're not getting our own way. Lord, I want to pray for the person right now who is struggling with anger. Lord, I pray that you would help them to see that anger very clearly, what it is, its source. And Lord, help them to see the distinction between holy anger and petty anger. An anger that's built on your will versus our fears. Lord, I want to pray for the person who has lived with anger their whole life. I pray that you would help them to let go of that bitterness today. Lord, I pray that you'd put a holy dissatisfaction in them so that they wouldn't even want to go to bed tonight. One more night in anger. Lord, I pray that You would replace that anger with your word, with Jesus, and with your church. And help each of us, when we become angry, to resolve it with a rescue mission to bless others. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go with Jesus.